0: Oh, wow. Yeah, which is home to this, which is uh, the world's largest uh, s- uh, bronze Buddha statue.
1: Oh. It's huge. Yeah, I've
0: been by it actually. I've
1: been oh, by you? it before. It's yeah, it's very tall. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very cool to see in the distance. Yes, and it's also home to
0: Oriental Beauty tea, oh.
2: uh, which has a rather unique
0: growing method. They actually leave these things called tea green leaf hoppers on them, That's and cute. their bites um, cause the leaf to ferment a little bit early, which gives it a honey flavor.
2: But then you don't eat them, right?
0: No, you don't eat the butt. Yeah. <laughs>
1: no, 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 no.
2: But worry. they
1: impart a very special flavor <laughs> on the tea, and that's why it's so delicious.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mm, well, interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> Thank you for joining my game. I hope you learned something new. Are you feeling we thirsty? Did. Yes. I <laughs> can have yes. some more tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's today's Brain Game, and I hope you enjoyed watching.
3: What's this all about why are they doing that what's going on here it's curious john what is he curious about today the grand hotel is a taipei institution that towers over rti studios from the top of a nearby hill It's a magnificent Chinese-style palace that's hosted presidents, kings, and celebrities, everyone from Eisenhower to Elizabeth Taylor. It's also a place that's full of secrets and legends. Last week, I took you to the Cold War escape tunnels hidden beneath it. This week, we're back at the hotel to explore another piece of its lore. This is the story of Kong Ar, the first hotel manager, a gun-toting, talkin larger larger-than-life woman who oversaw the hotel's construction and operation. She's a figure of fascination for me, because everything about her seems to be contradictory. She was indeed a sharp-shooting, gun-slinging boss lady who took no lip from no one. But the brash exterior hid a deeply private woman, and a sheltered one at that, related as she was to a first lady and her dictator husband. Those who really knew her knew a kind-hearted and generous soul ready to give whenever those in need came calling. And really, who wouldn't have put up a tough front when faced with her reality, living in an age when ambitious women like her had such a narrow scope for maneuvering? In any case, she's shrouded in mystery, and hard facts about her are hard to come by. But I hope that today that's going to change. I'm one of the first lucky people to get a peek inside a little retreat built for her off-duty hours down the hill beneath the hotel's towering gaze. Hotel tour guide Tracy Zhou, who brought us through the tunnels last week, joins me again, this time inside the formidable Kong Er's private rest house. Kong Er was born in the Republic of China in 1919, with a given name Kong Lingjun. Jun. During her childhood years, her family became influential indeed. As we've said, her aunt became the first lady of the Republic of China, Madam Chiang Kai-shek. Kong Er was close with her aunt, and this aunt-niece relationship would come to shape the entire course of Kong Er's life. During World War II, with Japanese bombs falling on the Republic of China, Kong Er accompanied her aunt to America, where she addressed Congress to drum up support for the war effort. While there, Kong Er made a strong impression, mostly, it seems, for her refusal to bow to the gender norms of the time.
2: She was so um, different because uh, she dressed like a man. That was quite uh, different from what people think a woman should
3: be. No matter how bad the war got, niece and aunt stuck together. And this bond held just as tightly when the next war came along just a few years later. This time, the Republic of China was not so lucky. Its forces were overwhelmed by Chinese communists. And in 1949, the whole government, with its remaining loyalists, fled to Taiwan, the last bit of land they controlled. Here, they rebuilt in exile, though, still claiming to be China's legitimate government. It's here that the Grand Hotel story begins. The non-communist world still largely saw Taiwan's government as Free China, the legitimate one, and they sent diplomats, heads of state, and other high fliers to visit. Remember, D. Eisenhower, Elizabeth Taylor, and kings from Tonga to Thailand, and just about everywhere in between. This jet-set bunch would need a place to stay while they were here, a hotel, and not just any hotel, a grand hotel, one that would dazzle and leave no doubt as to the legitimacy of the Republic of China on Taiwan. The First Lady and her husband entrusted Kong Er to run this show, and by all accounts, she did brilliantly. It was under her watch that many a successful state visit was pulled off, and under her tenure that an image of exclusive luxury grew around the hotel. There was and is fine dining, cooked by some of the best chefs around, and in time, even exotic novelties like Taiwan's first steakhouse were to be found there. For her own use, Kong Er was given the modest but beautifully furnished rest house that we now stand at, here at the bottom of the hill. A scaled-down kind of luxury seemed to filter down from the hotel above. Kong Er had excellent taste. Just inside the entrance, there's a lavishly carved wooden screen adorned with a scene from a classic Chinese novel. There's a fireplace, a rarity in Taiwan even today, and a phonograph, something that would have been expensive at the time. Even the fixtures in her two bathrooms, one of them completely pink and the other solid blue, were pricey imports from Japan. Here, in relative seclusion from the hustle and bustle of the hotel above, Kong Er could focus on her work and even entertain her aunt and the president from time to time. Kong Er may have owed her position as the hotel's first manager to her family connections, but her success as a hotelier came down to nothing more than some serious hard work. She was a meticulous accountant. Dozens of accounting books filled with her tiny, extremely neat sums still survive. Despite her success, though, Kong Er seems to have become a bit of a caricature in the eyes of certain people, and it's this unfair, even bigoted image of her that the hotel hopes to contradict today by opening her former quarters to the public.
2: This is uh, one of her fairy collection, she's Gang. a lover of gun, and some people see that uh, sometimes uh, during her break, she will carry a gun uh, running around the mountain.
3: The fact is that this hotel opened in the 1950s, a time hardly known for women's liberation. Kong Er's preference for men's clothing, her habit of carrying a shotgun, her love of hunting in the surrounding hills, and the fact that she spent much of her time with a female companion, Tracy euphemistically calls her bosom friend, all raised eyebrows, though it's unlikely people dared to say too much openly, given her powerful family. She could be quick-tempered too, especially as a boss, as many remember.
2: From the writings and books I read, uh, no, I got this image, you Now that she was tough, easier to get angry. And she doesn't like people to recognize her, don't want people to uh, greet her when they saw her uh, in the hotel.
3: But Tracy says that those who really knew her, and there weren't many, saw instead a kind-hearted person with a real generous streak. It's this side that people coming to visit her quarters today will see on display. The real inside source for what Kong Er was like is her still-living hairstylist, who was particularly close with her.
2: Now, this barber is already 80 years old. He a different story. Uh, he said that actually she was a very good happy person. He was very enthusiastic about this. He said, no, don't ruin her reputation. She was so different from what people say about her.
3: People whose relatives fell ill and couldn't get them a hospital room knew that they could count on this hairstylist to put in a good word for them with Kong Er. She might seem gruff face to face, and many people feared talking to her directly, but she would never refuse to help someone in need. Her employees could count on a roof over their heads at the hotel.
2: When the staffs, um, you know, some of their families then got sick and couldn't get uh, no room for the hospital, they always came to the barber because they were so afraid of talking to her. So they always came to the barber and then the barber would <laughs> say to her. And then she said, okay, no problem, I can help them to get a room you know, to stay uh, in the hotel.
3: And in a glass cabinet next to her prized shotgun is a man's jacket with another story of her generosity to tell. This jacket had been hers, but she gave it as a gift to an employee who needed it.
2: Actually, it was a gift. Uh, she gave it to one of the staff here. And then uh, when we are trying to, uh, to make this uh, residence built, Uh, He gave it back as a um, part for our collection to show to people.
3: He gratefully remembers being given the jacket to protect him from the cold, and dutifully gave it back to the hotel when he learned that they were opening a little museum to Kong Er in her old house. Kong Er liked her privacy. Of course, she couldn't help but stick out given who she was related to, the glitzy establishment she ran, and the fact that she went against the grain of her time. But it seems she tried to avoid the spotlight as much as possible, preferring instead the obscurity of her hidden refuge here at the foot of the hill. Her later years after retirement are thus pretty obscure. All Tracy says, and all that I could dig up, was that she later left Taiwan for a few years, accompanying her aunt to the United States after her husband, President and Dictator Chiang Kai-shek, died in 1975.
2: She went to the States with Nang after our late president passed away. Uh, She stayed there for only two or three years, and Mm -hmm. then later on she went back to Taiwan. She Taiwan. She She died here.
3: She died here in 1994. Her very brief Chinese Wikipedia article adds that her corpse was taken to New York for burial, though I've not found confirmation of this. Seeing the private seclusion of her quarters, I can't help but feel that maybe she would like the fact that we can't find out too much about her. All I can say is that I'm definitely in awe of the way she lived on her own terms, dressing however she wanted, living however she wanted, and unapologetically too, in an era when this was far from easy to do. Her little house happens to be right next to RTI's parking lot, and as I passed her home tonight, on my way home, I couldn't help but give a little salute to this remarkable woman, who built a Taipei legend and did it her way.
1: Have you ever heard of room tone? Well, I hadn't either until recently. It turns out that I've been listening to room tone ever since I began working in radio. It's just that I didn't know that that's what it's called. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Year to the Ground, I'm going to bring you through several different spaces so you can experience for yourself the different shades of room tone.
4: (laughs) An ear to the ground.
1: So I've always been aware of this thing called background noise, like what you hear in the background right now. That's the sound of the Cologne train station. Oh, Oh, wait, hold on a second here. We're in the Osaka airport.
2: This must
1: be the Taipei city government elevator. Fancy that! Just by adding a background, you can transport yourself to different places around the world. Now, I've long dealt with the challenges of field recording too. Whenever you record an interview or narration on location, somewhere like a loud marketplace, you have to be careful to avoid loud background noises which can totally overpower the recording. Those sounds can also make it really tough to edit the narration. Take, for example, a motorcycle. If it passes by while you're talking, and then you try to edit your words, the audience is going to notice that you've also cut out parts of the motorcycle in the background. When I first got into radio, I was taught that whenever you record on location, you should record an extra minute of tape. Now, of course, we don't use tape anymore. Everything is digital these days. But you need to record an extra minute of background noise. We call it ambient sound, or atmos, which is short for atmosphere. It can be very handy when you need to edit something that was recorded over a similar background. But what is room tone? Well, it's related to background noise or atmos or ambient sound, but it's even more like a presence. It's almost like different shades of silence as they occur in different environments. Now, I was hoping to play some examples of room tone for you, and it occurred to me that the best way to convey the concept is by letting you listen to my voice and how it sounds different in different spaces. Now, of course, I also have to use the same microphone, and it should be stressed that it's not my voice that you're listening to. That's not room tone nor are the background sounds that you can hear. Rather, it's the perceivable differences in the way my voice sounds that should give you an idea of the room tone for each space. And that depends on the placement of the microphone in relationship to the space boundaries. Things like walls, ceiling, the floor, and other objects in the room. Have a listen. This is room number one. Can you hear the room tone in my voice? Now I'm in a different space. Can you hear the room tone of my voice now? Room tone. Okay, I bet this room will give you a different feeling altogether for my voice. Of course, I'm in the bathroom, so you can hear a little bit of an echo in my voice. That's room tone. This would be the kitchen. So you can probably hear a little bit of uh, refrigerator noise in the background there. Actually, if I just stuck my head right in the refrigerator, I bet it would sound different too. Hello, is there a room tone in this refrigerator? Why yes, I believe the room tone is a little bit different. All right, enough of that. And how about outside? Of course, outside you're gonna hear a completely different sound in the background. You're gonna hear the ubiquitous sound of The Taiwanese trash truck, the music in the background there But beyond that, you should be able to hear a different tone in my voice I guess it's not really room tone if I'm outside now I guess space tone? That's a pretty cool word, maybe we should call it space tone At least uh, you can tell that my voice isn't really bouncing off any walls or anything So it's kind of more like the absence of uh, space But there you have it. That's a look at room tone and little differences you can hear in my voice based on the space where I am. So it's hard to say if we really gain anything from noticing or playing with the color palettes of room tone. Maybe you'll discover that what's important is not the contents of what you hear, but the process of listening itself. With A Near to the Ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. together already, it's time to feast! Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan
0: and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West.
4: Welcome to the Feast, this is Ellen Chu. This is Andrew Ryan.
0: This is Reese Ayers.
1: Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And today we're serving up some Taiwanese peanut and ice cream burritos. Mm. Wow.
4: You know, when I first saw this, you know, I thought, wow, you know, it's just like a burrito, but with ice cream in there. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. Is it from the Mexican influence or something?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> there's such a strong
0: Mexican influence yeah. in Taiwan. I right? know. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, no. I think it's just a name that we've prescribed to this okay. thing because we don't want to call it the actual name that it is. Okay. I mean, is it? what's the Chinese name?
1: Well, they say Hua Sen jun. Jun.
0: Bing qi mm. So,
1: but a lot of times people also say it's very similar to a run bing, mm. right?
4: But run bing looks exactly like a burrito.
1: Ew, so does, does it? this. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it looks like a big thing wrapped in a, some sort of wrapper. Yeah. So you can't really tell what's inside. Right.
4: So maybe the Chinese influenced the Mexicans? Um,
0: mm. They could have evolved independently of each other, maybe I okay. think most cuisines, they have a thing wrapped in a thing
4: Really? How about British? <laughs>
0: uh, Yeah, we have like pastries, you know, like a, like a Cornish pasty It's like, okay. it's meat and potato wrapped in pastry in, in Australia,
1: we had sausage rolls Sausage
0: rolls, I think they okay. might be from the UK
1: Possibly, yeah
0: we'll I love a sausage roll Oh, I bet mm. you do um, I guess, you know, for me, when I was first learning Chinese, the R- the in-pinion, at least, the R, the run r- r- mm-hmm. was a very hard run. sound for me to pronounce. Okay. Like, 热 r- or Ho, r- right? So, I guess maybe for that reason, we're going to just call it a burrito instead of a Runbing.
1: R- well, I think that, you know, English is very lazy when it comes to talking about Chinese food. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think mm-hmm. people are always looking for, like, some sort of easy way out. Sure, um, And we actually have a bunch of examples of that. So, okay. like bing, we would call them scallion
0: pancakes. Yeah. Taiwanese scallion pancakes. Mm. But they're not really a pancake.
4: No. No, it's not. It's just kinda like a it's like a capita.
0: Yeah. Right? It's not really a pita either. I guess that's the reason we're kinda calling it a pancake, is because there's nothing really it's exactly.
4: Shape. We, yeah. It's just a shape, you know, it's easier for people to picture it, okay? Mm. And
0: it's also cooked
1: on a big griddle. Mm-hmm. right? Okay. And oh. Taiwanese
4: gua bao.
1: Gua bao, I love gua bao. And that
4: one is way different from a hamburger. It's more like a pita pocket.
0: Yeah, Ew. we call it a Taiwanese hamburger, but it's it's like a the bread is like ste is it steamed bread? Steamed. Yeah, and it's kind of like a Pac Man shape.
4: Right. Yes. It's a little bit sweet. <laughs> or
0: like a clam, white right. and it's white, f- white. Yeah. yeah, and it's filled with the uh, pork.
4: Pot stickers. Pot stickers. I think this one is very good. Uh, I mean, well named.
0: Well,
1: that's because actually because pot li-
4: sticker is sticks on the pot, right? And it's
1: literal translation. So "guo" is pot, "tier" sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so that's kind of a
4: close yeah. thing. Right.
0: I had never heard of the, the English term pot stickers before I came to Taiwan. Mm. Um, we say that in America a lot. Yeah, but it's okay.
1: only for like the 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 fried ones, mm-hmm. right? Do you think Chinese food does the same thing for Western foods, like framing them in a a context of where we are in Taiwan and China? I yeah.
4: think so. It's kinda of like Xiangqing because it comes from the West. It's Western celery.
1: Celery, yeah. As opposed to a very uh, different form of celery, a thinner mm-hmm. form of celery mm-hmm. that's used in Chinese cuisine.
4: And for xi hong shi. So that's kinda of like tomato. So yeah.
1: it's a western persimmon is uh-huh. a tomato? That's that's how you say it in China. In China, yeah. We really? don't say that but in China. Not Taiwan. in Taiwan. We because Fan
4: And they call it Western eggplant?
1: <laughs> yeah, fan xie, Western eggplant. Fan okay. kind of means like anything outside of China, right? right. Mm-hmm. Xie the is barbarian, the eggplant. <laughs> barbarian, <laughs> barbarian eggplants. Yeah. and
4: the uh, it's a Western melon, so it's like watermelon.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, mian. So Italian noodles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, I mean that's implying like just mian would be Chinese noodles. Mm-hmm. You don't have right. to say it's mm-hmm. Italian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in today's show, we are going to be looking at uh, ice cream burritos. And we're actually going to be attempting to create them in the test kitchen. Mm -hmm. But there is going to be one small thing that may be standing in our
0: way. And that is Reese does not like one of the main ingredients. My least favorite. And this is not me being picky. This is a genuine genetic disposition to not liking this thing. It's... Well, actually, Ellen, you know what's in this... Ice cream burrito. There's a, there's a,
4: Peanut a, powder yes. and, and ice cream. And there's one more thing. There's one more thing? Yeah. Yes. I don't Something remember.
0: that I despise. And about 10% of my colleagues around the world would agree with me that this is a thing that tastes like soap. Cilantro. Cilantro. That's right. Oh. oh. Okay. So cilantro's good. We'll be talking more about cilantro in the first course and okay. about why some people actually have a genuine genetic disorder, you can call yeah, it yeah. to not liking it. And oh, I have it. Oh, so
4: it's it. a genetic it's a disorder? Genetic, it
0: is,
1: yeah.
4: Okay. Yeah.
0: All so are
1: right.
4: excused, okay? Shall we All have right. a look at
0: what's on
1: our menu?
4: Let's do it. Yes. In our first course, we begin with a key ingredient of our ice cream treats. One of the most controversial ingredients in all of the cooking, cilantro, coriander.
1: That's right. In our second course, Reese is going to join me in the Feast Meets West test kitchen. We're going to try to make the traditional wrappers, the rimbing wrappers, and an ice cream and some crushed peanut powder. Ooh, mm, we won't be growing any cilantro.
4: <laughs> okay. And in our third course, we'll be assembling and sampling this spring treat right here in our studio.
1: Yes. But first... A we, song. <laughs> it's
4: called Chi <laughs> Chu oh. Cilantro <laughs> Xiangcai. Okay. So, it's by Xu Xiaohua.
1: Let's eat cilantro together. Cheers. I'm leaving the studio.
5: 电视里闪烁着自外光线直到界限
4: This is the cilantro challenge today.
0: Cilantro or coriander, we call it coriander in okay. the UK. American English uses cilantro, which comes from the Spanish because it's so prevalent in Mexican cuisine. Right. Um, which is, uh, I, I love Mexican food, but I always have to ask without the cilantro, but it's so often so deeply incorporated into the dish that you can't remove it. Hmm. I don't like it.
4: So a lot of people think that it has a soap taste. Yeah, wow.
0: some people say it tastes like soap, and some people say even it tastes like like death or like dying flesh. flesh. Carry like on. they
4: have ever, you know, tried like death. Uh,
0: right? Maybe smells like it. I yeah. interned as a zombie once. Yeah. <laughs> <so>. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but actually, as I mentioned earlier, it's a genetic disorder. It's it's a alteration of one gene that makes your ability to detect some chemical that is present in cilantro and it kind of activates the taste buds that would yeah, taste you, soap.
4: you you just have this definition all written out to convince your parents that you have this genetic <laughs> defect <laughs> I mean,
0: cilantro is not it's not like super good for you either like it's not something that you'd be missing okay. out on in your diet it's just kind
4: of like an herb that brings out the flavor right well,
0: people who like it i guess yourself and andrew say it tastes kind of like maybe lemony or kind of like springy grassy I think grassy grassy yeah.
4: but it has a very nice grassy smell to
0: yeah, it yeah grassy in a good way mm. mm-hmm. yeah. well for me and for I guess about 10 to 20% of people around the world it tastes like soap or, or dying flesh wow um, and actually there are differences between um, racial groups mm. so 21% of East Asians, 17% of Caucasians and 14% of people of African descent don't like coriander uh, in in this kind of genetic way. Whereas uh, places that have coriander that feature heavily in their cuisine, like Southeast Asian countries or Hispanic countries, only 7% of South Asians dislike coriander coriander, uh, 4% of Hispanics dislike it, and 3% of Middle Eastern people uh, dislike coriander. That's really interesting. Do you, so, do you think that people incorporated this into their
1: dishes because more people like it? I think that, Or probably, do you think it's the other way around? They have it mm. in their dishes, so people actually have the ability to taste the actual flavor.
0: I'm not sure. I guess because it's a genetic thing, it's not something that can really be changed by, you know, just forcing yourself to eat it over and over mm-hmm. again. Like, I will never like coriander. You know, no matter how much I try, and I've tried you know <laughs> but even if there's like a pinch in a, in a dish I can taste it and it just ruins the entire thing it's like somebody didn't wash the soap off yeah. the dishes after they cleaned it them it tastes very clinical Okay, uh, and It's very unpleasant. Um, okay. it's, Julie, Julia Child, actually, was probably one of the most famous examples of a person who had this genetic thing. She okay. hated it. And in an interview with Larry King in 2002, she said that it kind of had a dead taste to me. Mm-hmm. And that she would uh, pick it out and throw it on the floor if she saw it in her dish. <laughs> wow,
4: Julia Child. Okay, Julia Child.
0: Yeah, okay. That's hilarious.
1: And,
4: yeah. you know, if she comes to Taiwan, she'll be throwing a lot of out of her food because we put a lot of cilantros in our Taiwanese cooking like
5: Mm.
4: pig's blood cake oyster vermicelli
5: Mm -hmm. and
4: bà wán which is kind of like the sticky rice inside we have the meatball Mm. and pork ball soup and also ice cream burrito. Yeah, yeah.
1: actually, any rimbing will have this in it. it Most will. rim have this in it. It's like a kind of a, a fresh spring roll. Mm. We actually have somebody else in the studio here today who's not a fan, Ryan.
4: My son Ryan. Hi, Ryan.
1: Say hello. What do you? What, what do you? When you taste uh, cilantro, what does it taste like? Blah. 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 Okay, that Blah. was Blah.
4: That That's was... kind of like Julia Child, you know, tossing it on the ground. Blah.
1: Very, very descriptive. So uh... now
4: he's going to go home and tell me it's a genetics thing, okay? He's going to go tell his teachers, you know, th- when they're making him eat school lunch, if it has cilantro in there. It's a genetic thing. So if you ask, then go ask Uncle Reese, you know, who works at RTI. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Are you going to do that, Ryan?
4: No. no. no You're not going to, like, you know, tell them that where you got your source from yeah. no it's
0: true you can point them to the internet if they don't trust me yeah. and the internet will tell you it's definitely a, a genetic just thing google it or okay. maybe you're just fussy i'm not sure i hear that that always works when kids tell their teachers to look it up on the internet oh yeah,
1: yeah. really yeah. always yeah, yeah yeah oh okay <laughs> <laughs> so okay so in just a moment uh we're actually gonna head into the Peace means west uh test kitchen Mm-hmm. And we're going to make the wrappers. Or we're mm-hmm. going to try to.
4: Mm-hmm. Make- I'm sure somebody in there will be tossing out the cilantro and, you know, putting it on the ground. Right? Sabotage in the
1: kitchen. <laughs> right. Uh, and we're also going to make some ice cream and some peanut powder. And when we come back, we're going to assemble them in our third course. But first, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to play a song. Okay. Yes.
4: So this song must be... The- Something related to what we're eating. It's called Hua Sen Jun Bing Oh, they have a song for it. Yes. And this is by Elan Jazz Band and uses Taiwanese instruments.
1: Yes. So this is by uh, a group. A root. It's, it's called Tong And this is a group of uh, musicians that are actually from northeastern Taiwan where this. Actual dish, the ice cream burrito originated. Mm. And so they have a song about this dish from their hometown. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so again, it's Hua Shen Bing And we'll be back in just a moment in the test kitchen. Yeah. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Second
5: course.
1: We're back on the second course of today's Feast Meets West, and we're going to be making all of the things that we need for Taiwanese-style ice cream burritos, or Bing jenbingchiri. I'm going to throw together an easy vanilla ice cream. We'll have some cilantro leaves, and we'll also grind some peanuts with powdered sugar. Now the tricky part is we're going to actually attempt to make the wrapper. And in this case, we're going to make the wrapper that's used for a fresh spring roll in Taiwan that's called Rimbing. It's a wheat-based wrapper that's so thin that it's almost transparent. Joining me in the kitchen today is our intern, Reese Ayers. All right. So what we're gonna do now is we've just got the ingredients for the wrappers in a bowl. And what do we have, do you remember? Flour, water, and salt. That is right. It's a basically a bread flour, so high gluten flour. We've got 225 grams. We've got a half teaspoon of salt.
0: A half teaspoon of salt, and then water we had 150, okay.
1: That's right, 150. Uh, we added a little extra water because we wanted to make the mixture a little bit looser. And it basically looks like a a loose pancake batter. So uh, you're gonna just stir that up until it's nice and uh, mixed in. Let's give it a mix. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're just going to let it sit for 30 minutes to let it, uh, I don't know, does it rise? (laughs) Rise, fall. In Chinese they say until it's uh, relaxed. So we're going to let it chill. Yeah, Yeah. let it
0: chill for a while.
1: And then uh, what we're going to do when we come back here, we're going to actually start painting that with a paintbrush onto a flat pan. And heat it up into uh, the wrapper shapes that we will use for
0: our ice cream burritos. Mm, I'm very excited, my first time making any kind of runbing. I guess i made pancakes before, but this is quite different. I think it's gonna be a thinner than a pancake. It should be nice
1: and thin and almost translucent. Mm. All right, so we'll be back in uh, 30 minutes. So while we're allowing the batter to rest, I throw together a quick vanilla ice cream with milk, cream, sugar, and vanilla extract, and a pinch of salt. I mixed the ingredients together a couple hours earlier and allowed it to chill in the fridge. And now you can hear it churning away in my ice cream maker in the background as Reese and I return to the batter for our wrappers. Okay, we have now just uh, unveiled our batter after 30 minutes of sitting. And we are just painting it on the flat surface of the bottom of a skillet. And what are we
0: thinking? It's, uh, it's looking crispy and it's, we were worried at the beginning that it wasn't going to work, but it looks like it's gonna work. We're just waiting for the edges of the pancake to curl so that we can flip it over and cook the other side. Okay, I see it's starting to peel away a little bit. Should I give it a go? I think so, give it a flip. Give it a flip. Ooh, oh, nice
1: crispy noise! Oh, the first one's not quite. It's got a big hole in it. It's okay.
0: <laughs> I think we could still wrap something inside of that.
1: Do you think we could wrap something inside of that?
0: Or this can be the test thing.
1: Um, I think that's done.
0: Okay, I think maybe the painting needs to be a bit more.
1: I think we have to peel it off more quickly. Yeah, it's a bit. It's it's quite crispy. <laughs> can you hear that? All right.
0: Attempt one.
1: Attempt one. Shall we try it again? All right.
0: Let's paint some more on.
1: <laughs> Alright, I think I'm gonna save you the pain of listening to our many, many fails and uh fast forward a little bit. Okay,
0: so uh, after a couple failed attempts, we have done what now? <laughs> we, we tried. We had some crispy ones. We had some thick and juicy ones. But now we've employed the assistance of Leo.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, Master chef Leo Chen is in the kitchen. He is doing mini
0: ones in a mini pan, and uh, we have the first one come out, and it looks beautiful. It seemed the problem with the first set was that the pan was not terribly good. It was too big, and maybe the sides weren't the right shape. We're now using a smaller pan, which is a lot easier to... It's easier to get underneath the pancakes and flip them before they turn too crispy. Look at that, I'm holding a springy Rinbing wrapper in my big hands. We're going to have mini, mini ice cream
1: rinbings. And I think it's going to be perfect for you because I'm going to slip some cilantro in yours. I'm going to taste it and
0: I'm, ah. <laughs> I'm going to leave the studio. I think it's easier. Thank you, Leo.
6: You're welcome. <laughs>
1: I'm so happy. I think uh, we have success here. So uh, we have something to show for all of our efforts. Finally, it wasn't a waste of time. All right, well, we're gonna go into a song now. This song is called Vanilla Twilight by Owl City. And of course that's vanilla like our ice cream, right? hmm I'm so excited to eat this stuff. All right, we'll be back in just a moment when the feast continues.
6: The stars lean down to kiss you and I lie can miss you, pour me a heavy dose of atmosphere, cause I'll doze off safe and soundly, but I'll miss your arms around me, I'd send a postcard to you dear, cause I wish you were here. It's not the same without you Because it takes two to whisper quietly The silence isn't so bad Till I look at my hands and feel sad Cause the spaces between my fingers Are right where yours fit perfectly I'll find repose in new ways Days, cause cold nostalgia chills me to the bone. But drenched in vanilla twilight, I'll sit on the front porch all night, waist deep in thought.
1: So we are actually just assembling these uh, ice cream burritos. Mm-hmm. We have some of the wrappers on a plate. Reese, a scoop
4: pass of, me the peanut. Yeah, some
1: peanut powder. Awesome. I made that myself. I you made did? It mys- I did. So he oh. crushed the peanuts and added some uh, powdered sugar to it. Yes. Uh, and
0: then we have some cilantro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I have some not, ice cream I've not put cilantro in mine But for the sake of radio I am going to try this cilantro raw
4: What a sport
0: Oh the smell even is just un- And we're wrapping quickly Because you've got mm. ice cream in there <laughs> mm. Yeah it tastes just like soap And like what I imagine A hospital floor might taste like
4: <laughs> But
0: anyway The ice oh cream God. burrito mm. It's good Mmm mm. The ice cream made from scratch in Andrew's ice cream maker. Um, That's right. For sure, his
4: vanilla ice cream has no problem. Okay, I had it before. It's just wonderful. But I always wonder, why did they add the cilantro for? Uh,
0: You guys tell me. Does it add to the taste of the rumbing, or is it...
4: I think it brings out a spring taste.
0: It does, I
1: think I know the answer to this because normal runbing without ice cream has mm-hmm. cilantro in it. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a carryover from normal runbing. Mm. Oh. It has peanut powder and cilantro, and it usually has vegetables and maybe a little bit of ham mm-hmm. or um, uh, other bean sprouts, things like that, egg, tofu. But mm. with this, they replace all those things with uh, ice cream, but they keep the cilantro and the peanut powder.
7: Mm. 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 So I
1: think for people who are. Used to eating cilantro, it's very unusual to have it sweet
0: like this.
7: Mm. Mm. Last Wonderful.
0: week, we um, talked about that QQ texture. Mm. Mm. The rune kind of has a bit of a QQ-ness mm-hmm. to it, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. A bit exactly. bouncy and chewy. Mm. I, this is really good.
4: This is <laughs> this is really super good. You like it? Mm. I like it. Wow,
0: I, yeah, Ellen's very enthusiastic about this Look, one. Look, I,
4: can... I finished the whole thing. Yeah.
0: Me too. Yeah. Wow. There's a whole tub of ice cream here, and we're going to get through the whole thing, I promise. Oh, um, Ellen, what about yeah. cilantro
1: with ice cream? What do you think?
4: I think, you know, the first bite, it has a confusing taste in the mouth, okay? Mm-hmm. But later, when the peanut kick in... I think the cilantro takes out the, you know the the heaviness of the peanut. Mm. It lightens it up,
1: mm.
7: right? Absolutely. It
4: kind of Mm. right?
1: So it's it makes it more
4: Moorish, right?
1: Really mm. chuny. So it's like if you eat something and it's it, you you take too many bites, it it get kind of you get you tired of it very quickly
4: because the ice cream is thick and also the uh, peanut powder it gives it a heavy you know Mm -hmm. taste too so the too heavy thing if you just don't have the cilantro i think eating a whole burrito it's gonna be like very very like you know boring
1: i Mm. guess you know what's interesting is i think that there's one thing i would change next time and that is i would do uh bigger chunks of peanut Mm-hmm. I wouldn't grind it. I would probably just bash it so sure. that you have uh, a different texture. Right. I think
4: you you can mix the powder and the big chunks together. And the big yeah. chunks together, Keep yeah. a nice crunch right.
0: uh, mm-hmm. in,
1: in, in every So it's kind
4: of like the Skippy with the peanut crunch, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah,
0: that's mm-hmm. right. I think to listeners, you know, cilantro with ice cream might sound like a very strange combination. I think mm-hmm. that was part of the inspiration behind this episode, right? It's such a right. unique combination. But, but
4: it has the local flavor in mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. you know? Because without the, without the uh, cilantro, it'll just be like a crepe
0: it would be just like a it would be be very western the runbing, the pancake itself is kind of flavorless it doesn't have too much flavor to it it's mostly just that texture Mm -hmm. and it keeps everything inside
4: Mm. Mm. so it has a signature of the Taiwanese
0: yeah right with the cilantro it's a little nod to Elan, Elan County pretty easy to make as well so you guys could make this at home I think it's very
4: smart I think you know for people to sneak that cilantro in there and you know add it the local flavor I'll sniff
0: it out I'll (laughs) sniff it out remember you're disliking Cilantro is justified. You know, yes. it,
4: it's just that. You know, when Reese described it as a hospital floor,
0: <laughs> just
1: as you Man. were putting it in your mouth. I know.
4: That's why the first taste was kind of a bit of confusion for me. Yes.
1: <laughs> She's like, hospital, pandemic, COVID. <laughs> I know.
4: Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh.
1: Anyway, well, that is uh, a very unique dish from Taiwan, our yes. take on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Usually they actually serve it with taro ice cream or peanut ice cream. Mm.
4: I think I would go with peanut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love peanut.
1: But uh, mm. So vanilla is kind of our own take on it But you can experiment Maybe some strawberry ice cream yeah.
4: Coffee? coffee. <laughs> always Lovely. coffee I always. always experiment everything with coffee Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I do that sometimes for Ellen I either makes yeah. it, make it into strawberry or coffee That's He cute.
4: made like uh, coffee tangyuan If it, everybody remembers That sounds delicious yeah. That's, right. That's right Just
1: for you You
4: should make that again You know, when Reese is here <laughs> Yeah, super make easy
1: Make for him he, he
4: got, you know, positive review From the national chef
1: yeah, a state banquet chef. State
4: banquet chef, okay wow. Ellen Chu
1: invited him in. I didn't yeah. even know he was coming. Wowzers.
4: And he just said that, Wow, this is amazing. It yeah. really surprised him that that Allah why Okay. <laughs> a a white dude there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> white dude? No, just
4: kidding. I'm in
0: the presence of greats. <laughs> oh, nonsense,
1: nonsense. No, it's
4: usually like all the women in Taiwan does the Tang yuan rolling, mm-hmm. but, you know, and here, it was this guy sitting there, and he's a foreigner.
1: All right, all right, enough about me. <laughs> okay. What about you? Uh, why don't you send us a letter and tell us what you think?
4: Right, maybe what? you could try this at home.
1: Yes. What do you right? think about cilantro? Would you put this in your ice cream burrito?
4: Try it, okay? It would <laughs> amaze you. If you don't have that genetic, you know... Um, Predisposition well, to exactly, hate it. Exactly, <laughs> then I think you're okay.
1: All right, so where are we going to send the letters to, Alan Cho?
4: P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Email us at androo at t dot dot w.
1: And we're going to wrap things up with a song called Wrapped Up.
4: <laughs> okay, wrapped up.
1: <laughs> Just like our little burrito. Okay. Goodness. I and couldn't resist it. This
4: artist is called Oli Mers and Travi McCoy.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oli Mers is from the UK. Oh. Yeah. Oli and Travi. I guess Travi is as well. Um, probably. Yeah. Okay. For v house, I'm Andrew
4: Ryan. And this is Ellen Choo.
1: I'm Reese We'll see you next week. Bye. Ta-ra. Baby, when
4: I look in your eyes. There's no way that I can disguise All these crazy
6: thoughts in my mind Now Just something about you. you got the lock. I- spell you got me under i see fireworks and we touch now. And you. your body fits me like a glove let them see whatever they want it's too late cuz y'all remember blood now
1: thank you for listening to radio taiwan international broadcasting from taipei taiwan Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz